0: Whether you like it or not, you have been labeled your whole life by strangers and friends alike. Maybe you've been labeled as short or tall, black or white, rich, poor, a Republican or a Democrat, a funny person or someone who's very serious. And whether you would admit it or not, you have been labeling other people your whole life, haven't you? It's not something that we like to talk about. Maybe it's something we're trying to quit. But we like to categorize people. We like to place people in certain boxes. That helps us to organize the world as we see it. You know, some labels bring great embarrassment like dorky. Uh, Or maybe you embrace that as your label. Maybe you have embraced your inner geek and that doesn't matter to you anymore. But maybe people have labeled you as rude. And that's something that you'd like to change. There are some labels we wish that we could just shed all together. Labels like overweight. Or divorcee. Or ex con There are other labels that we wear proudly, like veteran uh, or smart, if you've been labeled that. What about handsome or pretty? In Acts chapter 11, which is our text for the day, some of the earliest believers, some of the earliest disciples of Jesus Christ, some of the earliest followers of the way, well, they're labeled. Now, this story actually begins back in Acts chapter 8. You don't have to go to Acts 8 with me, but I would encourage you to go to Acts chapter 11, grab a Bible, open it up there. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. But this story actually begins back in chapter 8. And in that chapter, we are told by the writer of Acts that the church in Jerusalem faces a great persecution. People are persecuting. These early believers, and as a result, the earliest believers are scattered to other places. And this is one of the greatest examples in the Scriptures of God taking something very bad and turning it into something very good. Yes, it was terrible that the earliest disciples in Jerusalem faced harsh persecution for what they believed, but... As a result of this persecution, they were driven out and they went to all sorts of places and they took the gospel with them. So it's amazing what God can do with tragic circumstances. He can take something very negative and turn it into something great, something that brings him glory and honor. And that's what happens in the early church. Some of these believers who are driven out of Jerusalem, wind up in a city called Antioch. Antioch of Syria. And that's where we begin uh, our text in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Some of the believers, a group of them, who come to that town, begin to do something radical. They not only preach Christ to the Jews, they begin to proclaim Christ to the non-Jews, to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. And this is... this is something brand new. They are bucking the trend here. And it proves that the gospel is for all people, that the message of Jesus Christ is to be delivered to everybody, regardless of their ethnic background. And as a result of all this preaching, God is blessing the church with growth. We see three different times in Acts chapter 11 that the writer says, a great number come to the Lord. The preaching and the teaching is catching on. It's taking root. People are receptive. They're responsive. They are coming to the Lord in droves in Antioch. And in fact, so many are coming to God that the folks down at the Jerusalem church hear about it. It's, the gospel is making such a splash in Antioch that the exciting news reaches down to the mother church in Jerusalem. And so they send up Barnabas up to Antioch. And they send Barnabas so that he can do what he does best, which is what? Encourage the believers. Acts chapter 11, verse 23 says that when he came and he saw the grace of God, when he saw God's favor in this place, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And again, we're told more people are added. And then Barnabas, he goes To Tarsus, which is the hometown of Saul or Paul. And it hasn't been very long since Saul or Paul has been converted to the Christian faith uh, through uh, an appearance of Jesus himself, through a vision of Christ. And he goes and he gets Paul and he brings him to Antioch. And we're told that for an entire year, they meet with the church and they teach lots of people. And so exciting times in Antioch. And who among us wouldn't want to belong to a church like the church at Antioch? A church that's growing? A church that is passionate about reaching out with the message of Christ? A church where every week, every day, you're seeing new faces? New people that you hadn't seen before who want to know about Jesus and how He can change their life? This is a very exciting season for the church at Antioch, and we're told in verse 26 of chapter 11 that it was there in Antioch that the disciples are first called Christians. Very first place, they're not called Christians before this time, but now they are. A new, a brand new term is coined in Antioch, and it's Christian. And that's odd to us because we use the term all the time to talk about believers. I mean, that's our go-to term, Christians. But there was a time in the history of the church when this term did not exist. And all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, at Antioch, the believers, it's the first time that they are called this term, Christian. It comes from the Greek title, Christos which referred to Jesus, which meant the anointed one, and it was attached to a common ending, which created the meaning, a follower of or one who belongs to Christ. There were other words like this in this culture, like Herodian, which meant a follower of King Herod, an adherent to King Herod. This is a word like that one. And we have words like this today. Words for People who follow a specific leader. Uh, Religiously speaking, those who follow the teachings of Martin Luther, the great reformer, are called what? What? Lutherans! Okay, those who follow the teachings of John Calvin, another reformer, are called what? Calvinist. And sometimes in our history, we have been slapped with the label uh, Campbellite. This is not something that you hear much anymore. But it was, of course, inspired by the great leader of the American Restoration Movement of the 19th century, Alexander Campbell. Uh, And because he was a leader in that movement, we have sometimes been called Campbellites. And so we have words like this today. And it's worth noting, if you haven't already noticed in the text, that the writer of Acts says... They were called, and not, they called themselves. This appears to be a nickname. One that came, not from within the family of believers, but that came from outside. From non-believers. It was a label attached to believers in Christ from those on the outside of the faith. And it's possible that this term was meant as a slight, originally. That it was meant as an insult that it was a a derogatory term aimed at those Christians. Would you look over there at those Christians? And my question is, why? Why were they labeled Christians and not something else? And I think there are a couple reasons. First of all, they believed that Jesus was the Christ. Uh, Or, as I said earlier, this word Christ means the anointed one. He is the one who has come that was prophesied in the Old Testament, in the scriptures of our people. He has arrived. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus, that man of humble origins, who was born in a stable in Bethlehem, who grew up in Nazareth, whose parents were Mary and Joseph, who as a young boy spent much time in his father's carpentry shop. This man... This Jesus is actually the Christ. It's Him. He's here. He is the one through whom God is bringing deliverance and blessings to His people. They believed Him. They believed Jesus was the Christ. He's the Son of David. He's the prophet, the priest, the King of kings, the Messiah. He's all of that and more. Bound up in this man is is the fulfillment of all our hopes, our longing. He is the totality of it. is the Christ they actually believed that but they not only believed it they could not stop talking about it they couldn't stop talking about him about Jesus Christ in fact as we flip through the pages of the book of Acts which is an account of the growth of the early church what we see is that in early Christian preaching this is what characterizes it. This is what it's all about that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. I think about the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, the sermon that brought 3000 people to the Lord, after which 3000 souls were added to the church through baptism. At the end of that sermon in Acts chapter 2 verse 36, uh Peter says, Jesus is both Lord and Christ. It's him. He's not just some other guy. He's not just some other teacher or rabbi. uh, Some human figure. It really is the anointed one of God, the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. And then in Acts chapter 3, verse 20, another time that Peter is speaking, he says, Jesus is the Christ appointed for you. In Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, the Jews would have known that salvation would only be available through the Christ Who was to come? And Peter says that Christ is Jesus. And salvation is found in no other name but Jesus Christ. And even when they were commanded to stop, don't talk about Him any longer. You've got to quit. In Acts chapter 5, verses 28, the powers that be, the political and the religious establishment, they say to the apostles, we strictly charged you not to teach in the name and yet here you have, listen to what they say, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You have filled this city up with your teaching and your preaching about Jesus Christ. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody in this town who hasn't heard a Christian talking about Jesus. You have filled it to the brim with your teaching, and we told you to quit, and you didn't. And listen to what they say. Peter and the apostles, we must obey God rather than men. We're not here to please men. We're here to please God. God has given us a message to preach, and that is that Jesus is the Christ, and we will continue to proclaim it, and we don't care about the consequences. I think Acts chapter 5, verse 42 sums it up well. The writer says that every day in the temple and from house to house, so in the place of worship and in the various places of dwelling, the apostles did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They would not quit. They knew, they believed that Jesus was the Christ, and they would not stop talking about it. And thus, they were called Christians. Those Christians, do you know what they believe? They believe that this guy, Jesus, that, that he's the one that their people have been prophesying and talking about for, for years prior, that he's here. And they won't stop telling other people about it. I mean, they are passionate about it. They must really believe it because they just won't shut up. They have to tell everybody they see about this Jesus. And so they're called Christians because they believe And they continue to speak about Christ. But today, the word Christians, I mean 2,000 years removed, and we find ourselves in a very different culture in many ways. And this word now, well, it's got a lot of mileage on it. It's been around for a while. And it also has a lot of baggage attached to it. And so today, this word doesn't mean what it meant. It means lots of different things to lots of different people. And some people have positive associations with this word. Some people have negative associations. Some people think of Christians as humanitarians, as people who do a lot of good in their communities and in the world. Some people think of Christians as as nice people. You know, they, they smile and they're kind and they're polite and they have good manners. They're nice. Some people think of Christians as just a voting block. And in election cycles, we hear the the news people and the pundits talk about the Christians. Who are the Christians going to vote for? Like we are just some voting block, some demographic, among others. Some people associate Christians with a certain political party. Some people think of Christians as backwards, as... Narrow minded, closed minded, people who are not open to new ideas, people who are shackled to an ancient dusty book that has no relevance to today's culture. Some people view Christians as religious extremists. And so, as you can see, the word has lost its original meaning. I mean, all of that falls, it's just way off base from what the word meant and what it ought to mean today. None of this strikes at the heart of what being a Christian actually is and means. And so, is there a way that we can make the word mean what it meant? Originally, when it was first spoken about those believers all the way back in Antioch. Is there a way that we can restore the simple yet powerful meaning of this word, Christian? Well, I guess the only way we could do that is if we truly believed what they believed about Christ. Sometimes I wonder if we really do. I mean, I think we say we do. I think if we were to be asked who Jesus was, we would say He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. But I mean, do we believe it like they believed it? I mean, they... They had rock-solid faith that Jesus was the Christ. And it expressed itself in their actions and in their lifestyle. And as I look at myself, and as I look at modern-day Christians, I just wonder if we have the same fervor and zeal for this belief that our earliest ancestors in the faith did. I mean, do we really believe that in Jesus Christ, A new world is breaking into this old world. A world in which sin and death no longer has dominion. A world in which God reigns. And this is a world that we can enter through our baptism. We can rise up into this new world that that is already present in this old world. And by being in this new world through baptism, this new world that is, is being ruled by Jesus Christ, blessings abound. Innumerable blessings we can enjoy through jesus do we believe it like they believed it i mean they believed it so much that they couldn't stop talking about jesus but we can't stop talking about sports our favorite teams the latest games and tournaments we can't stop talking about politics as if this is all there is As if this human government is is as unshakable as God's kingdom. And yet we talk about it like it's the end-all, be-all of the world. Who's in charge of the government? We can't stop talking about our hobbies, what we're into, what we're interested in. We can't stop talking about our families. As wonderful as our families are, as great a blessing as they are, as big a responsibility we have to our families... There's a point at which our families can take the place of Christ. I mean, what did the conversation look like in the lobbies of the early church? I seem to believe as I look at the scriptures that they were talking about Jesus and what Jesus had done for them and and how excited they were that Jesus had arrived on the scene and how he was the Christ and how they couldn't wait to share Jesus with their neighbors because Jesus had come to change the entire world. But what are we going to hear this morning when we head out into the lobby, to the parking lot? Are we going to hear more about Jesus? Or is this going to be the extent to which we talk about Christ this morning, just in this room, in this gathering? And listen, I'm talking to myself. I'm preaching at me today. Because this is a struggle and a problem for me. What I'm wondering is, what I've been wondering as I've been studying is, what if this word never came into existence? I mean, what if in Antioch, they, people never started calling them Christians? And throughout the entirety of Christian history, this word, even today, still did not exist. We, we still called each other just believers or followers of the way or disciples. I'm wondering if outsiders would today, if this word did not exist, would think to call us Christians. Because of what we believe and because of our lifestyle, would they look at us and would that be the first name to come to mind? Those are, well, quite literally, Christian means the Christ people. The people who are captivated by Christ. Why isn't the church of today doing what the early church did? A lot of people ask that question. You know, why isn't the church growing? Why aren't the pews more? Full than they used to be why aren't there more younger people where are all the younger families and kids going why can't we attract more people why isn't the teaching of jesus taking root like it once did and you know there are a lot of people out there who are far smarter than me who are, have studied this and have come up with all these answers but i kind of think the answer is pretty simple the reason why the church of today is not doing what the early church did in places like Antioch and elsewhere is that we're not captivated by Christ like they were. We're not enamored with Jesus. We are not, and I'm going to use this in the most positive way that I can, we're not obsessed. I mean that in a good way. We are not obsessed with Jesus Christ, with what he, who He is, with what He does, with what He means to the world, with what He can do, not as captivated by it and when we fail to share the zeal of our faith ancestors for our lord then we betray the very name that we wear because they were called christians because they strongly believed that jesus was the christ and they couldn't be quiet about him and we call ourselves christians and yet when's the last time we told anybody about christ when's the last time our faith was all that evident Out in the world, it's told that Alexander the Great singled out one of his soldiers who was accused of being a coward. And Alexander snapped at him, what's your name? And he said, my name is Alexander. And he said, well, change your life or change your name. And what he meant by that is, I don't want to share a name with somebody who's a coward. I don't want to share a name with somebody who doesn't share my boldness and my courage. And so you either can change your life or you can drop that name. If we have the honor to wear the name of our Lord, we better make sure that our affections and our lifestyle reflect that name. And if they don't, if they don't, maybe we don't need to be wearing that name. And I don't mean to Sound harsh this morning. I know maybe I'm coming on strong. And like I said, I'm talking to myself too. But my whole point here is it is an honor to wear the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is it not? To walk around and to have this name attached to us, Christian. To be recognized as a Christian. As one who has confessed faith in Christ and been baptized into Christ. And we dare not take it lightly, church, to be called Christians. We dare not. It's interesting to me that this word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. That's it. And like I said earlier, we use it all the time today. But one other time that it's used is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, in which Peter says, if anybody suffers as a Christian, and he could have said, then you're in good company. Because a lot of Christians have And in fact, the one for whom we are named did too. But he says here, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. In other words, don't be ashamed of the name that you wear. Instead, glorify God that you can wear that name. It's an honor and a privilege and a blessing to wear that name and make sure that your way of life lives up to it back in Antioch people started saying those Christians and they might have meant it negatively they might have been saying they believe such strange extreme things and they won't quit talking about it they are just an odd bunch of folks those Christians and our aim should be to come to the point where we say you know what, I am one of those Christians. And I'm proud of it. And I want to do everything that I can to live in a way that reflects the name that I wear. Properly. In a way that glorifies God. Do you want to be one of those Christians? You can, this morning. You can come confess faith in Jesus Christ, You can find life and and salvation in that name and in that name only. I know that there are people in our midst who have not yet been buried in baptism to receive the gift uh, of eternal life that comes when your sins are washed away, to be joined to God's people, the church, to know that you are secure for all eternity. You'll spend forever in God's presence. Tommy made the great confession on Friday, was baptized into Christ you can make the great confession today. You can come and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I want to give my life to Him. Or if you need prayers for any reason, if you're struggling, listen, this is a family. And we want to struggle alongside you. And we want to suffer with you. And we want to pray for you. And if we can do that, then don't hesitate to come. Or if you need to come and say, my life has gone off track to the point that I need to rededicate my life the Lord, I need to be restored, this is a time for you to come as well. Would you take advantage of this time as we stand and sing?